Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles with you or you want to pull it out on a device of some sort, Mark chapter 7, we're reading out of the ESV. We're going to be working all the way through Mark 7 verse 1, all the way through, that's verse 23. So a good bit of scripture to get through today in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to give you a quick introduction, we'll pray, and then we're going to dive in. This is the 15th sermon in the Gospel of Mark series, and thus far, most of what we've done, what most of what we've done, has been quite a bit of miraculous stories. We've had the uh, the man drop through the roof who gets healed. We've had uh, the the woman with an issue of blood. We've had Jairus's daughter being raised from the dead. We've had a storm call, calmed. We had Jesus walking on water last week. Lots of dramatic events. Today we get to a scene that people like me love. It's a debate today. But not much of one, uh, because Jesus kind of dominates this one. Nevertheless, it is a debate. And you might ask, how does a debate about ancient laws, how could that possibly be relevant to you tomorrow morning when you get up to start your week? Well, if the Lord allows, I think you will find this debate interesting at least, but also empowering and challenging along the way as Jesus debates some Pharisees today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get started with verse 1 in just a minute. Minute, I'm going to ask Dad to pray over the time in the Word, and we're going to get moving. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're the light of the world. And Father, that your Word shines light on our situations. And Father, we're looking forward to what you have to say in this Word. Father, open our hearts to receive it. And Father, help us to be able to apply it to our lives this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's get started verse 1 of Mark chapter 7. Now... When the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Let's pause there and set up our cast of characters. We have the religious elite, the Pharisees. They're the ones that have the established power, and they've got their crew with him. Their crew is their scribes. Their very mention means conflict is coming because they are the powerful, they are the established, and if you know anything about people with power, they don't like when someone else might take it from them. And here is this Jesus character who's got a following coming to him and just mentioning them right now sets up a potential for some kind of conflict. You should also know the Pharisees. That for somewhat good reason, they were highly admired. If you would have grown up as a a young Jewish kid, you would have been told at the very least, you should respect them, you should admire them, look at all they're doing. The same way at least we would talk about our civic leaders. Even if you don't like them, we we would say respect them. But a lot of people would have been taught to not just respect Pharisees, but venerate them. Look at how religious they are. Look at all the stuff they know. And so that's what we have. We have the established religious elite, and they've come to have a discussion with Jesus. Verse 2. They, the Pharisees and the scribes, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. We'll pause there. So the Pharisees see Jesus' 12 disciples eating without washing their hands. It is not lost on me that we come to a text about washing your hands during the time of COVID-19. And there are so many jokes that came to me, I'm not going to tell you any of them because we'll just keep rolling if I start doing that. Uh, Because nothing is more fun for me than you laughing at jokes. So I'm going to not tell you those. And just tell you this, good safety tip, wash your hands. It's a good idea. Mark, though, draws a distinction. He says... He saw they were eating with hands defiled, that is, unwashed. So that should add, the, the reader should ask, wait, why are those two things different? Why, why is something being defiled different than it being unwashed? Why is something unwashed make it defiled? Why, why did Mark find it necessary to clarify that? Well, it's a good question. Let's keep reading 
and we're going to find out why defiled and unwashed are these two distinct things. He has a parenthesis here. We're going to read parentheses for verses 3 and 4. This is a Mark explaining this to you. Mark giving you some explanation. Verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they, Pharisees and Jews, come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that the Pharisees observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, here's the question, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? We'll pause there for a minute. So we have this distinction that's really important. There's defiled and unwashed. When you hear the word defiled, don't think of it as dirty. That's not what they mean. Defiled is a, it's a characterization. It's where someone stands before God. Something being defiled, it means it's unclean. Like the Gentiles were unclean. If you touch certain kinds of animals or certain types of foods, they were unclean. So don't hear defiled as, that's gross, that's dirty. No, that means you're un, unclean before God. So that's the word defiled. And the tradition of the elders, maybe you noticed I was emphasizing the word tradition every time I read it. Not the scripture, not the Bible, but the tradition of the elders was, if you don't wash your hands, then what you ate was unclean. So really important note here, tradition and the Bible, the scriptures, they're not the same thing. The Pharisees don't go to Jesus and ask, hey, why are your disciples disobeying the law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He doesn't go to them and ask, hey, Jesus, why are your disciples disobeying what David wrote in the Psalms or Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes or Proverbs or what the prophets wrote down? Why are you disobeying what the scripture says? He goes to them, the Pharisees go to Jesus and ask, why aren't you obeying our tradition that we built around scripture? This, there's a, a lot of them, by the way. That's what Mark says here. There's lots of traditions that they built around the Scripture that aren't actually Scripture. And they're upset that they're not following their tradition. The example I've given you before is the Sabbath laws. I, I feel like that's the most easy way to understand this. The actual law around the Sabbath is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There's a couple more things that are in the law about it. But the, tradi- the, the Pharisees decided... We're going to put a definition on that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy means do these things. You can't do these things. You can't walk longer than this amount. Like that's literally a, a, a mile distance. You can't lo- walk farther than this. If even your friend needs some help, you can't help them. They started making up rules that weren't in the Scripture, but they decided to put definitions on what the Bible says. And these traditions were deeply held. They were held maybe as scripture, that when the Pharisees made up a rule, you're supposed to follow it. And Mark even expounds on it. There's lots of stuff he says you got to wash. You even have to wash, wash your dining couch. You have to wash all these vessels. All kinds of washing has to take place. So a good question then comes up. Where did the Pharisees get this rule? Where, where did the Pharisees get this idea of you have to wash your hands before you eat? A couple, a diff, diff, a couple of different pieces of history tell us this that in Exodus 30 and Leviticus 22, there were some rules about the priests. They had to wash their hands before touching the showbread. They had to wash their hands before doing certain things in the temple. And they had expanded the scripture. The scripture said, you priests do this in the temple in the tabernacle. 
And they had declared to the people, well, if you're going to be truly holy, you need to do that too before things that you do. So they, this tradition, not Scripture, had become a deeply rooted part of Jewish life. So much so that there's a real offense here. I know it's a, it's a fraught time in our culture to give this example, but not following this tradition to a lot of Jews would have been like this, uh, an American not putting their hand over their heart during the national anthem or not putting their hand over their heart with the Pledge of Allegiance. Like it's not technically a rule or a law, but it's a deeply held tradition for a lot of people. And if you see him not doing it, you get really offended. Well, there is this Jewish thing. There's this Jewish thing too. It's not a law. It's not in the scripture. But they're super offended by it. How dare you not follow our traditions? So it sets up two important debates. What is obedience to God versus obedience to tradition? How, how are we going to balance those obedient to God and obedience to tradition? And then it asks this question. What does it mean to actually be undefiled? What does it mean to actually be clean and pure? Is it following all these rules? Is that what makes us clean and pure? Now, Jesus has an answer for us here. That's the debate. Why aren't you, why aren't you following our traditions? And now Jesus is going to answer. Before I read you his answer, I need you to get... In your mind, what you know of Jesus thus far in this story. Thus far, think back to all the cast of characters. To the woman with the issue of blood, he calls her daughter. To, the, to J. Iris' daughter, he, he uses basically a, a, a sweet name. It's almost like dar- darling. It's like, darling, get up. Even the tone he used with the demon-possessed man in Gennesaret after he after he'd cast out the demon, the tone is so sweet. The, the tone with the man who was dropped through the, the roof to be healed... Jesus' tone thus far in six chapters, really inviting, really sweet guy. We're about to get Jesus' change of tone. We're about to get another part of Jesus' personality. So the question, why aren't you following our traditions about washing hands? Verse 6, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Well did Isaiah, Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people, he's now accusing them, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of Yahweh, of God, and hold to the traditions of men. I think the southern term for this is Jesus is spitting fire here. There is a whole, like this is not, he's not holding back. This is both barrels. To rephrase He's just saying, Isaiah was right about you. He prophesied folks like you. You teach your tradition as if it's God's command, and you got all this outward appearance of holiness. You say all the right things and do all the right things. None of it's genuine. You're totally fake, and you're not following after God. You talk the talk. You put on a show, but it is all fake. That word leave, it says you, you leave the commandment. It is to reject. You reject God. You follow after your own tradition, your own self, And Jesus is not finished yet. Verse 9. And Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. This word reject, second time he used it, there there is a word in Scripture you can get that means unknowingly reject. Like you didn't have enough information, but you told something no. This word means I know what I'm doing. I know the the decision I'm making, and I'm choosing to reject. This is a hardcore accusation. You know you're rejecting God to follow after your own traditions and build your own kingdom, your own name, and you're doing it anyway. He's saying you are totally comfortable choosing your tradition over God's command. 
And then he gives an example. Verse 10, Jesus is building his case that he is right about them. Verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And, Moses said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you, you Pharisees, you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that means given to God, then you no longer permit that child, that adult child, permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Good example here Jesus gives. The command is, honor your father and your mother, honor your parents. That it often gets taught to kids as obey your parents. That's good. That's a lifelong command, guys. Uh, once you become an adult, the honor your father and mother sticker sticks around. And one of the one, I love that amen right there. One, one of the ways we do that is we take care of our parents as they age. That's one of the main applications of that, of that command. Honor your father and your mother. It's actually one of the reasons, I could talk about this a lot. One of, one of the reasons the Christian religion has had so many kids for so long. That was the norm in Christianity, to have a bunch of kids. It says many theological things. It, having children says a lot of theological statements. But one of them is not that theological, it's practical. If you don't have a bunch of kids, who's going to take care of you when you're old? That was the actual practicality. And so here was the command. Moses said, take care of your parents, even as they age. And then the Pharisees come along, and they create this loophole called Corban. And that is... You can say to someone, you've, you've got wealth, you've got some money, you've got something that could help, and your parents come along to you, your elderly father or mother comes along and says, I need some help from you, son and daughter, that I raised and gave so much to. Now I need something from you. And they created this, this loophole called Corbin. Like, Mom, Dad, sorry. I'm going to give this to, to, the, to the temple, to the synagogue. I'm going to give this to the Lord. It's not, it's not for you. And maybe they do it, maybe they don't. Maybe there's even a Pharisee right here who's doing that, who's got what his parents need, and he's not actually giving it over to them, and he's holding it on because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it for a holy reason. Now, this, this, uh, this tradition of theirs could come in handy for some of us when family asks for money. We could do that. We could, hey, sorry, this is, for, uh, this is for ministry purposes. But what was happening is they were leaving some parents, some elderly parents, destitute. So, he's, Jesus is saying to them, by complying with your tradition you made up, you're violating God's law. And he, if you didn't notice how many times he said you there, I think it was six, six or seven times, he says, you do this and you do this. And he's trying to create this picture. You guys are replacing God. And then he finishes with, and many such things you do. I only told you this one. There's a lot of things you do like this. So it's not an isolated incident that you have rejected God's command and made up your own rules. Verse 14, this is something of a scene change. So if there was an audience for this discussion, he's, Jesus is now speaking to the entire audience, or maybe he's calling people together to witness the, the end of this discussion. Verse 14, And Jesus called the people to him again and said to the people, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, I want to make one quick uh, reminder. The word defile does not mean dirty. And so, so this passage has been used. I've heard it in my own life. This passage has been used for license to sin. Some people use it even now. 
they'll say, well, Jesus said it's not what goes into you that defiles you, so I can drink this, smoke this, do this. That's not what this means. The defile is, are you, are you in good standing before God? And so he's saying nothing you eat is going to make you unclean before God. And I, I wouldn't call this concept hard to understand, but the disciples in a minute you're going to see, they have a lot of trouble. They have a lot of trouble understanding what Jesus is saying here. But this is clear. He is saying to everybody, probably with the Pharisees watching, it's not food that you ate with unclean hands or unwashed hands that makes you defiled before God. What makes you defiled before God is the sin that comes out of you in your actions and words. It's not the food you eat by not following their tradition. Verse 17. Now we are away from the crowds, away from the Pharisees. And when Jesus had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, so the disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, this um, this thing, uh, that there's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile him. It's the things that come out of people that make them un, unpure before God. What, what's that mean? And Jesus answers in verse 18. Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside can't defile him, can't make him impure before God? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. In parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. I don't know Jesus' tone here. I imagine it the way I just told it to you. Not frustration, but almost exasperation. Like, this isn't hard, guys. You should, you should be able to get this. There's also this parenthetical at the end, thus he declared all foods clean. That could be a sermon all unto itself. Paul deals with that in another letter. I'm not going to deal with it today. But he's, Jesus is setting up here this reality that these food laws, these traditions about what you eat, that's not what makes you holy or unholy. There have been a bunch of rules you've been to- told to follow that will make you clean or unclean before God. That's not how it works. It's not, what makes you, it's not what you consume that declares you good or bad before God. He's saying that's not the case. It's what comes out of you. The heart will manifest itself in words and actions. Verse 20, last few verses here. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man... Come, so here's the things that defile us. What's in our hearts comes out in these ways. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So we finish here the text part with Jesus' core message of of telling the story. It's sin in your heart that makes you unclean. Following laws and traditions is not what makes you undefiled before God. Really, you can follow all the rules. You can be an awesome rule follower, look the most outward, pious, religious. But if your heart is unredeemed, these sins and others will come out of you, and that is what will defile you, make you unclean before God. It is not what goes into you. It's not the traditions you follow. It is your heart that needs to be changed to make you pure. That is the core of his message. So that's the text for today.
have three points for you. Three things we can learn from this text. Number one, following Jesus is adjusting your life to the Scriptures, not anyone's tradition. Number one, following Jesus is adjusting your life to the Scriptures, not anyone's tradition. If we go back to what Jesus said to and about the Pharisees here, he made a really clear and interesting connection. He said of them, Isaiah prophesied that this would happen, that you people would worship me in vain. And that is a sad sentence. Because we, we think of worship as what we do in here when music's playing. But worship is all of life. Everything we do is worship. And he's saying all of your life, like all these rules you follow and all the, the ceremonies you go through, all the things you're not taking part in that you probably you could take part in if you didn't make up a rule, you're doing all that in vain. It doesn't mean anything of worship. You're worshiping me in vain. And he connected that directly. Next sentence. Well, how is that the case? Like, what are you saying? I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm following all the rules. How is that in vain? And Jesus, as if to answer that question, says, well, you reject the law of God for your traditions. By rejecting the law of God and picking your tradition, you're not worshiping. You're not worshiping the real God. So this clear connection here is that you following Jesus, worshiping God, is following his word and not traditions. It is getting into the scripture and not what anybody tells you about what should and shouldn't be except that which is based on the Bible. It takes us here that God and his word are inextricable. You can't get one without the other. That, you, that Jesus and his teachings are inextricable. You can't have one without the other. And we have a culture who wants to separate the two. We have a culture, maybe even a doubt in this room, but you might hear folks say things like, I actually, I love Jesus. What, what a teacher. What, and I even, some people will say, I even believe he's God. But man, there's stuff in the Bible I'm not sure about. We have a culture that is licentious enough that they love Jesus, they say, but reject the Bible's sexual ethics. We have a, we have a materialistic culture enough that says they love Jesus, but they reject his call to radically be generous, to live below your means so that you can be generous to others. We have a culture so inclusive, they reject Jesus' exclusivity that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other. We have a culture so obsessed with comfort that they don't like the answers Jesus gives on why suffering happens in this world. And what Jesus is giving us here is you can't have one without the other. There is no accepting Jesus without accepting his teachings. There's no accepting God without accepting all of God's words. So, questions about Scripture are welcome. And I mean that. Stuff that troubles you in the Bible, bring that stuff up. We want to talk about those things. We don't want to ignore them. But there is this clear imperative from this passage. Once we have an answer... Whether we like it or not, we adjust our life to Scripture. We don't, adjust, we don't adjust our life to anyone's tradition, but we submit to the Scriptures. So following Jesus is, a lo- is adjusting your life to Scripture and not anyone's tradition. I do want to put some, some flesh on those rhetorical bones really quickly, though, about tradition. Because a lot of us, maybe you, grew up in a situation where the outward appearance and the things you do outwardly are, are the markers of you being good before God. 
And there's lots of versions of this. I'm not going to pick on just one. But it's, I think it's important to mention. Like just as an example, there's a church very close to us here right now whose very prominent pastor when he was with us had a famous point he made about how he would mow his lawn with a tie on because that's the standard he wanted to keep in the community. As if that was holiness. I've got my tie on. Everybody knows I've got my tie on. I dress this way. That must mean I'm good before God. And that, that group uh, d- d- does that to us, and we, we reject the traditions of man, where the outward markers of your good with God is women, you dress this way. Men, you dress this way. This is the, this is the music you listen to. This is the type of, type of church service you're going to have. Just the idea that you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with those who do. Those things are what make you holy. Do those things. That's the standard. And we reject that. We reject your tradition because we're going to follow after Christ and Christ alone. There is another end of that, though. I can tell you about folks who put Jesus on the label. That's what they call themselves. They call themselves a Christian. But their outward expression of that is, you won't believe all the places that the, the places where I shop, the coffee that I get, the shoes that I buy, here's the good causes they're involved in and the, the, un, the unfair trade practices that where you buy stuff. Like I'm a I'm a good consumer, and that's how you can know I'm a good person. They volunteer a lot and they're they're warriors on social media for all kinds of causes and activists. And it's basically the same thing. It's just here's a new tradition, and that's how I'm going to show you and prove to myself I'm righteous. And whether it is that that old-time religions traditions that they made up and built on top of Scripture, or the more modern version of making stuff up and built on top of Scripture, the answer to both and everywhere in between is this. There is no creed but Christ and Him crucified. That is holiness. We have this, this problem of wanting to build our own righteousness, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but we can't. And the answer to that is follow Christ and Christ alone. No one's traditions. So number one, following Jesus is adjusting your life to the scripture and not anyone's tradition. Number two, following Jesus means being in an intimate relationship with God. Number two, following Jesus means being being in an intimate relationship with God. Jesus draws here another interesting connection here with the Pharisees that we don't want to miss. He said... their lips are speaking all the right things. Like your, your lips, what you say, they are another expression of what you do. So what Jesus is saying is to the Pharisees, maybe saying to some of us, you do the right stuff, guys. Like you say all the right things. But your heart is far from me. You, you've got all the outward actions, but you don't know me. Matt Chandler says of this, it's one of my favorite quotes from, a, from I guess, a, a more modern pastor. He says, Christianity is a terrible hobby. And what he means by that is this. If you are coming in here on Sunday morning because you just know it's the rules, when it's a beautiful day out there, you could all be at the lake doing something else, but you know the rules are you should be here. And you keep all the, the scriptural rules in your household and how you work, and you're keeping all the rules, but you don't get the benefit of being in a relationship with your maker. What a terrible hobby. Christianity is your hobby and you don't get the benefit of being with Jesus, getting to know him. Because Christianity, following Jesus, is not compliance with a bunch of rules. Christianity is not being in compliance with what even tra- what traditions or the Bible says. Christianity is being the son, son or daughter of God. 
It is our relationship. So we can look at the, the Pharisees here, and it's actually quite sad. Their lips are saying the right things. Their, their hands are doing the right things, and they don't even know the God they say they want to serve. I suspect you, you can identify with this probably in your own family some. You want compliance out of your kids, right? When you make a rule, you want them to comply. But is that all you want? You just want them to follow the rules? Do you want a relationship with them? Do you want to get to know them and them get to know you? I suspect you know this in your own marriage. Do you, do you want your spouse just to do their duty, but do it begrudgingly or doing it because they have to? Or do you want there to be some passion and desire there? It's not any different with our God. He wants to get to know you. He wants you to know him. Because Christianity is not complying with the rules. It's a relationship with God. I thought of another illustration on this. I might be totally like one of, the, one of the few people in this room utterly unqualified to give this illustration. Nevertheless, I'm going to try. I, th- I think we can illustrate this with like a dating relationship that becomes an engagement and then marriage. Whereas, I suspect this is how it works, that as you get to know somebody that there is a natural adjustment to some behaviors. Not Young people don't hear me saying you should change the core parts of yourself for some guy or girl. Don't do that. It's terrible. But I suspect as you start to have affection for somebody, you recognize what makes them happy. And as they start to have, they have this affection for you that grows, they know some things that make you happy. And as you get to know each other just naturally, not out of duty, not begrudgingly, but out of joy... Some behavior changes. That's how this works too. As you get to know the wonders of this God, there will be outward change. Behavior will change because behavior doesn't matter. I'm not telling you what you do doesn't matter. What I'm telling you is it will come from the inside out. As we know Christ, as we know God, it will change our hearts and then it will change our hands. Then it will change what we do, because knowing Jesus, following Jesus, it is not just following a bunch of rules. It's being in an intimate relationship with God. So, number one, following Jesus is adjusting your life to the scriptures, not anyone's traditions. Following Jesus is being in an intimate relationship with God. And finally, following Jesus means being clean from the inside out. We are a people, it's just natural human nature. We're a people that constantly try to get clean. By clean, I mean in right standing before God. It's our nature to try to be clean from the outside in. We want to put in the effort. We want to earn it. We want to put God in our debt by being good. We're so good, now you you owe me something. And so I, I, I want to bring some balance here. I don't want you to hear me saying that what you do doesn't matter. That it's, 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 all, it's all about the relationship. Jesus is actually very aggressive later in Mark about sin. We're very serious about sin here. He says in hyperbole, if your, if your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Jesus will talk about later in this book that it is the fruit on a tree that tells you what kind of tree it is. And he's applying that to us, that it is the behavior of a person that tells you if they are in Christ or not. So your behavior matters. What we do matters. Sin matters. But what we have as something better is instead of just white knuckling holding on for dear life not to sin to get through these to get through life and follow all the rules instead we've been invited into something better come be in a relationship and that relationship with Jesus that relationship with God will clean you from the inside out those clean hearts will become clean hands 
We are, in our culture, we like to say we're a, mor- a morally relative culture, that no one, no one really knows what true morality or what truth is. But you can see if you look around, in this culture, even very secular people trying to get clean from the outside in, desperately trying to find meaning and acceptance by what they do so they can feel better about the inside. That happens in religion. Certainly people take on religions to try to earn God's favor, to do the outward things, to change the inward. It happens in this culture with those of us that think about image. If I can project a certain image, that's how I can make myself okay on the inside if I can get people to think these things. We project an image. In this culture, we, tr- we think we can be okay on the inside if we can project to the outside fame and celebrity. I, I asked a student a couple of years ago now, uh, what do you want to do? Like, what's your, what's your goal in life? And the goal was be famous. I said, okay, doing what? And she responded, doesn't matter. Just got to be famous. Just, I, I need people to know my name. What, what is that? I, I, I'll be okay on the inside if people will know me on the outside. You can see that in all kinds of political activism. If people know, if I'm doing the right things out there in the world, that's going to make me okay on the inside. In the fitness world where, where I live, I see that in the fitness world really hard, that if I can eat the right things and have the right workouts and look a certain way, then that's going to mean I'm okay. And all of those things will fail us as we try to earn the affection, the approval of others, as we try to, pr- as we try to become undefiled and clean before God by all of our efforts. None of that's going to make us clean. We need to remove those burdens. Remove the burdens of trying to make yourself clean from the outside in and how you behave. And instead, follow after Christ. Follow after Jesus. Get to know him and the heart begins to be clean. And it sounds like bad news. You can't. You can't. Listen clearly to that. You can't earn it. You cannot earn the affection, the love of God. You cannot earn a, a clean heart before God. And that is terrible news, but I have great news. You don't have to. And you never did have to. We have Jesus, who did please God. He came to this earth and lived a life that perfectly pleased the Father, and then got on a cross and absorbed the wrath of God for your sin, the punishment for your sin, to give us the greatest exchange where we take his righteous robe and he takes our sin, and by nothing you did, you're clean and undefiled before the God of the universe. If you've repented of your sin and followed after Christ, that's where you stand today and you don't have to earn a thing. You live out of your redemption. You can go do the outward works because of what's true of you already on the inside. And if that is not true of you today, I have even, I've got great news. You can repent of your sin, follow after Christ today and stop trying to earn affection and love. You don't have to do that. Stop trying to earn the approval of God through Jesus. You've already got it. You don't have to be these Pharisees. You don't have to go out and try to earn it. So, following Jesus, it is not just all the rules. It's a relationship with God. Following Jesus means aligning yourself to Scripture, not anyone's traditions. Following Jesus means this intimate relationship with God. And as you have this intimate relationship with God, as you get to know Jesus, as he cleans from the inside out, as we started with Pharisees that were really, were really concerned about clean hands, what we find is as Jesus comes in and we get to know him, as he cleans our heart, the natural product of that will be clean hands. And that's how we get them. I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to ask the band to come up. We have one more song we're going to sing together before we go around the table of the Lord. Join me in prayer now as the band comes up.